Welcome, friends. Welcome from wherever you are, home, car, wherever. Lou and I thank you for joining us. Well, one of 43 countries, by the way. Our podcast has been listened to in over 40 countries. Wow, that's mm -hmm. amazing. I'm so happy. I mean, I love to make new friends. And <laughs> yeah, if you write to me from wherever you are, Lou keeps track of who's calling in, who's uh, logging in from which country and, and stuff like that. And I always find that fascinating. But if you would write to me on Facebook, on Facebook Messenger or whatever, I'd love to communicate with you. Yeah. Some people write, they have questions, they have comments, and I try and reply every time. Yes, if you're listening on our podcast, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify or any of the other outlets, head over to our Facebook page, Gita Memoirs of a Psychiatrist, and you can contact us through there, either through a direct message or comment on the episode that you want to comment on. We'll get there. So today we're going to be talking about the qualities of Brahman. And you may say, how can God have qualities? You know, what, what are you talking about? And you're, it's a relevant question. And let's see first what the verse says and, and then take it from there. So the verse actually says, chapter 13, verse 14 says, with hands and feet everywhere, with eyes, heads, and mouths everywhere, with ears everywhere, that exists in the world enveloping everything. So recognize that when you say this, it really makes no sense at all. People say, what is this? And just as an aside, you know, I, I went into psychiatry when I was very, very young. And then um, at some point I read, and if you remember, if you've ever read or seen my videos on memoirs of a psychiatrist, I uh, was fascinated. This is what made me go into psychiatry in the first place was I was fascinated after reading Freud's book, Interpretation of Dreams. And I was very fascinated by psychoanalysis. So in the uh, mid-70s, uh, when I was still a very young man, I went to a very classical psychoanalyst, Freudian, um, we, and who were dwindling by that time. Um, psychopharmacology was coming about. Everybody was being treated with medication. Uh, but I wanted to see what psychoanalysis was all about. So I went five times a week lying on a couch, uh, interpreting dreams, my own dreams, and interpreting my own feelings, psych, uh, psyche, thoughts, etc. So I learned a lot about interpreting dreams myself. And those of you who are interested could read Freud's book, uh, uh, Psychoanalysis, um, and, and, and read about interpretation of dreams. But a dream on the surface, when you look at the most obvious look at it, it looks very bizarre. It doesn't make any sense. Right. Then when you interpret it, go a little bit deeper, say, oh, this makes sense. And then when you go deeper, it has multiple meanings. It's like an onion. You only see the outside, but as you peel each, lever, uh, uh, each layer, you get deeper and deeper and deeper into the onion. And it's very fascinating as you go, start going deeper. So this verse, if you look at the very surface of it, it looks like, you know, nobody, they don't know what they're talking about. Remember, I've always said that at the time the Gita was first formed, it wasn't written down. It was sung. 700 verses were sung. They were transmitted to people to keep on for the next hundred generations. And families were 
tasked with remembering each verse forwards, backwards, every so not one single verse is ever missing. And that's how it has been carried. So in order to make that happen, the verses had to be short and small and easily rememberable. So when you say a verse like, you know, with eyes everywhere, hands and feet everywhere, mouths everywhere, heads everywhere, it's easy to remember, it's short, but it doesn't make much sense. So let's see what that means. How does Brahman, God, express itself, himself, herself through a human being? If we say that God, Brahman, is basically, has no shape, no form, it's basically an energy, then how does Brahman express through a human being? Through all the senses. And if you remember, we talked, we have five sense organs, five organs of perception, eyes, ears, nose, tongue, skin. And, and with that, we, f we take in certain uh, stimuli, we think about it, say, what is this? We react to it, and then we have a response, and that response is from the ten from the five organs of action, which are the hands, we reach out for to grab something, feet, we walk towards that object if it's not close enough, we use our voice box to speak and say something, we use our um, organs of sexual reproduction to satisfy the need within us, and the last is the organs of excretion. So what happens is we see something that we like, Okay, think of uh, a child that has just learned to crawl and he sees a bottle of his milk further away from him. As soon as he sees it, that object, the milk, goes through his eyes, goes to his brain, his mind and intellect recognize it, have a desire for it, and react. Then the organs of action start, his legs start to crawl towards that bottle. His hands reach out for that bottle and takes it and puts it towards his mouth. His tongue and the rest of his body then react to the taste of that milk coming in. So those are the organs of action. So how Brahman expresses through the senses. But Brahman itself has no senses. It's obvious, right? It's mm -hmm. like electricity, life, has no, no senses. But Brahman creates bodies. Brahman has created my body, your body, everybody's body. Brahman has created the organs of perception, which and the mind and the intellect and the organs of action. So far, I think we're clear. Yes. But Brahman goes beyond our bodies and this world. So if we say Brahman actually has created this world, we say, okay, so Brahman is this earth, trees, elephants, hippopotamus, human beings, insects. No, it goes way beyond every part of this entire universe and everything wherever till infinity is Brahman. That's what the scriptures say. So you may say that's hard to believe, but look at it as the dreamer and the waker, right? You are fast asleep and you're dreaming. In that dream world, if I say to you, you know, what has created this dream world is your mind. Hmm. And your mind goes way beyond this dream. Right now, you're in this dream, you're walking in the sand, it's in the desert, it's hot, and you're thirsty, and you want a drink. And you're saying, there's a mirage of a waterfall there, I'm going to walk towards that mirage. And if you look around you, I say, what is this? So, oh, such a vast desert with sand and waterfall, and, uh, but there's nothing else. And I said, no, 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 no. 
this is just a small little fragment of your mind. Your mind is capable of much, much, much more. You'd say, nah, this is, this is everything I can see right here in the dream. Right. But then you wake up and the dream is nothing compared to everything else that's in the same mind that created that dream. Keep that in mind. That is a example given in the scriptures. And it tells you how vast our what we don't know is. We think we know everything in this world, but that's as small as the dream is to the waking mind. Similarly, Brahman, when you say hands, feet, so hands, it expresses through the hands, which are the uh, organs of um, action, um, and the feet go towards the uh, right. whatever it is. So the hands represent uh, movement without the body. The feet represent the movement towards the body, to, away from moving the whole body apart. Mm -hmm. The eyes and ears, it says, I'm the eyes and the ears. Eyes and ears are the ones that are receiving the stimuli. It says, I am the heads everywhere. The heads suggest this is the mind and intellect which receives the stimuli. And then the mouth, mouths everywhere. Mouth represents the response because after all, when somebody does something, what do you do? You use your voice box, one of the organs of action, to shout. So mouths represent organs of response. Mm -hmm. So the example of a Tesla, everybody knows what a Tesla is. It's an electric car, mm -hmm. and they're very fast. The, the speed with which it goes from zero to 60 is like nothing else in any gasoline-powered car. So the... It depends on the electricity within the car for the entire engine or that car to work, right. for the ra radio to come on, for the heat to come on, for the car to move, all depends on whether or not that car has been charged the night before. Once there's enough electricity, the car will move. Now, other car makers have also come up with cars. Ford, for instance, has come up with a small electric car it also moves with electricity, but it doesn't move at the same level or speed or power as the largest Tesla there is. Right. So the electricity is the same. The cars are different. Tesla is more powerful. The small Ford is less powerful. I'm giving you the analogy because I'm saying, look, human beings are different. The body may be different, one large six foot five inches and the other like five foot six inches. But the mind and the intellect are different in the two. Okay, keep this cl clearly in mind. The body represents the large model of the car. The mind and intellect represents the engine within that car. So you have a fast, big, powerful Tesla with a big battery and a small Ford with a small battery. The electricity is the same in both places. The small test Ford, you just want to play a trick. You take the big engine out of the Tesla and you put it in the Ford instead. And now that small little Ford is actually more powerful because it has the bigger engine, but a smaller body, lighter, right. so it can go fast. So imagine that every human being can be a very bright genius or not so bright and not so smart. So the Brahman is the same in every human being, but the body may be big, and that is based on a lot of other things, based on previous lives, what karma you've done to say, what kind of a body are you going to get this time? But 
the mind and the intellect has come with you from the previous life and from many lives before. This is the key. That engine has come with you. And if you were practiced in terms of certain things that you came with from before, then that is going to come with you. For example, the monk Shankaracharya, uh, I've, I've mentioned him many times before, when he was a, just a young boy of seven, he said to his mother, I'm leaving. And he decided to leave and everybody was shocked, but he, they knew that from a very early age, he was extremely spiritual. And you could tell just by looking at him, listening to him, that he knew the scriptures and that he had brought with him from a previous life, a very much highly evolved mind and intellect. And he became self-realized very quickly and then spent the rest of his life imparting that knowledge to the uh, world. Beethoven, from a Western standpoint, played the symphony at age seven or something like that, very, very early. He was playing a symphony and everybody was shocked. He, they said, child prodigy. And we've heard this. We've seen it. If you go to YouTube, you'll find lots and lots of stories of child prodigies. And people are shocked to say, how can a two-year-old or a three-year-old do something like this? However, if you think of this as the mind and intellect, having taken all of this in, absorbed it, and then bringing it with the mind and intellect to the next life, then you can imagine. So, the elect so there are three points that I made here. One is that the electricity in a Tesla is the same. It has no desire. The Brahman within us may respond because of our mind and intellect having to decide what it wants. But the Brahman has no desires. We have the desires. Our right. mind, our intellect has the desires. So let's say my previous life, I was fixated on wealth, money, alcohol, food, uh, beauty, power, uh, pleasures of the body. When I come to this life, whatever I had brought with me, and I don't bring everything, by the way, not all the vasanas come at the same time. If you have 900 vasanas, you might only come to this life with few of them. The rest are sort of dormant. They come out at, at the next life. But let's say my desire for money and power come with me into this life. Then from an early age, usually around age 12 or so, at an early age is when those desires start manifesting themselves. Sometimes much earlier, like in Beethoven's case or Shankaracharya's case, at age two or three or seven, you'll start to see those vasanas show themselves. <clears throat> so at a very early age, that person starts to show desires for money or power. But the Brahman itself has no desires. Whatever you brought with you, brought them. So using the example of electricity, the engine is the same in the mind and the intellect. Electricity is the same, the engine is different. So you cannot hold the engine or you cannot hold electricity responsible for how the Tesla is driven. Right. So you have two Teslas, identical, both with fully charged, going out on a journey on the same highway. One gets into an accident. The other one gets goes scot-free. You don't say to the electricity in the Tesla, what is wrong with you? Look at that car. It went, nothing happened. And you, you brought me down. I got into the accident. You're the driver. 
you didn't drive it properly. Something happened. It's not not the electricity. Even if the computer on board fails and crashes you into a truck, it's still not the electricity. It's the computer's fault. So it's your mind and intellect that makes you do something. That's what we call free will or will. Don't blame. People say it's all my karma, possibly, but definitely not Brahman. Not Brahman that is causing you to do this. People often say, my fate is bad. God is upset with me. Brahman is angry with me. I have to appease Brahman. I have to do some rituals. I have to do some pujas. Or they say, I'm blessed. That car got into an accident. I came straight through. My electricity is blessed. Or God blesses me. Everybody else suffered, but I didn't suffer. Brahman doesn't do that. Your karmas determine what is going to happen with you. And your mind and intellect decides what kind of risk you take and what happens to you. So that's the second thing, that the electricity the Brahman within yourself has no desires. Second is, you cannot hold Brahman or electricity responsible for what happens to you. You are responsible. Your mind, your intellect, your vasanas, your karmas are responsible. And the last is that the mind and intellect focuses on one or two weaknesses from the vasanas that it brings with you from a previous life. And that is the reason for the fall, not your not Brahman within you, not your God. You can't say, my God is very powerful, nothing ever happens to me, or, um, you know, I'm cursed or I'm blessed. That is all superstition and to be discarded as quickly as you can. So to summarize, Luke, help me out here. So I, I went on and on and on, didn't <laughs> give you a chance to say anything. But to summarize, basically, Brahman, what we are talking about in verse 14 is the qualities of God, qualities of Brahman. And essentially what I'm saying is Brahman has no qualities in this respect. Brahman gives life to us, our bodies, our mind, our intellect. It gives us the ability to have senses, to perceive different stimuli, to react to them, and then to give out responses. All of that is happening because of Brahman, but Brahman itself has no desires and does not have any wishes to do certain things or not do certain things. Haven't we discussed in past episodes that Brahman is not a doer? It does not provide impetus. It's just it's just a source of energy, like electricity or like the car. I mean, you don't blame the gasoline for the car driving into a building. It's not. It has no intent. It's just powering the car. Yeah. I mean, yes. So the answer to your question is yes. We have discussed this in the past that Brahman is a witness. In Sanskrit, it's known as a Sakshi. Sakshi means witness. Brahman is only looking. It, Brahman enlivens us to come to life. And then what we do is up to us. Brahman is only giving us that life and then witnessing what's going on. Not punishing us, depending on what we do. That our own karmas do. We punish ourselves or we get the rewards for it. Brahman doesn't do that. So you can't hold Brahman responsible for anything. This is a typical human response, isn't it? Oftentimes we give up control of our lives, in this case, to Brahman. We blame our outcomes on Brahman when actually it's our own actions and our own thoughts and our own decisions. And when we assume control, more control over our lives, the control we actually have, it can be healthy for us. Yes. So you're absolutely right. We blame Brahman or we 
thank Brahman. So imagine using the same analogy of the electricity. If your car, your Tesla, went beyond its capacity for electricity, my Tesla, I remember when I had it, had a range of 300 miles, but it only used to go 200 and something miles because I had the radio on and the heat on and everything else. If I ran out of electricity, power, charge, and I never did, thank goodness, <laughs> but if I ran out of it and there was to be an accident further on, I don't say, oh my goodness, this electricity really looked out for me. You know, this electricity yep. ran out. Had I gone a half a mile further, I would have been involved in that multi-car crash over there. Electricity really looked out for me. No, that electricity just happened to fail at that time because you didn't charge it properly. Same thing with Brahman. Comes into your life, does things, you are doing the things. Whatever happens or doesn't happen is because of you, your karma, your vasanas, your mind and intellect. Brahman has nothing to do with that. Yes. So, thank you very much. I think, I hope you found this interesting. These are all now, we're in chapter 13, a very, very interesting chapter. Wait till you see more verses of this kind. I hope to see you in the next episode. And I thank you very much for joining us today.